ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Pass Holders Guide Podcast. I'm here to share tips, tricks, and secrets of the theme park capital of the world. I am your host, Adam, a Florida native, Central Florida local, and I've been a seasonal or annual pass holder to every major theme park in the Central Florida area. Not to mention I used to work for one. Each show, I'll be here to entertain you and maybe even educate you on a particular topic, as well as go over up-to-date news and announcements at each park. Lastly, we'll have story time. Those will be cast member, team member, and ambassador stories. Throw in some interviews and other tidbits, and hopefully I can bring you one hell of a show. Hello, everyone, and welcome aboard the podcast. We're on our way to the Passholder's Guide podcast. For your safety and the safety of others, please remain seated while the motor coach is in motion. If you're standing, we encourage you to use the handrails above or to the side and remain clear of the doors and stairwells. We also ask that you refrain from eating, drinking, and smoking while on board the motor coach. And now we invite you to relax and enjoy the ride. Alrighty, let's get down to business. When you hear the word theme park, what do you think about? For most people, it means Mickey ears, magic wands, fireworks, and rides. Unless you're the adult, then it means paying parking, overpriced food, and admission. For me, growing up in the theme park capital of the world, it means Disney, Universal, and SeaWorld. And these parks didn't just appear out of thin air. The history that brought us these parks is long, and we can see how things evolved over time. It all started with fairs and festivals, and evolved into amusement parks, and that kind of led into our modern-day theme park. Let's take a look at the beginning. Fairs, or uh, temporary markets, began in ancient Roman times. But for our timeline, we're looking at Bartholomew, England in about 1133. They would evolve into entertainment like freak shows, acrobats, and circuses, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Fairs would normally mark the end of a harvest season or a certain religious time and were a gathering of merchants to sell their goods. Uh, the more vendors they could put together, the more people would be drawn together and more money was made. Think about passing a roadside stand. Not many people are going to stop at just one. But if you put ten of them together, you can have people get up early on a Sunday and make an event of it. I'm looking at you, farmer's markets. The same concepts have influences on modern times. Think about Judge Doom and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He wanted to create an expressway with a rest stop, putting together lots of different options, all to draw you off the highway. Uh, you can see that same concept in modern uh, stores and restaurants. The more they put together, the more of an event it is, and the more people they can draw to one area. Festivals also date back to Greek and Roman times, but they were more of celebrations. The word festival has French roots and dates back to the about 12 to 1300s, coming from the word feast or festival. You can also see former Spanish colonies and other Latin-based languages uh, use their version of it, the fiesta. This event were mostly of a religious occasion, holidays, or any kind of monumentous event like a royalty getting married. One of the biggest examples I've found still occurs yearly. Well, except for 2020, but we're not going to talk about that year. The one I'm referring to was when the marriage of King Ludwig to Princess Theresis in the early 1800s. Their festival was celebrated with horse racing and alcohol tasting in a giant tent. You can still find that giant tent alcohol consumption in Germany, known as Oktoberfest. 
Now, carnivals date back to the Middle Ages as well, and mostly take, took place in the spring. They were more of an overindulgence of food, alcohol, and debauchery, all before giving it up for Lent. That's right, another religious tie-in. These events would culminate in Shrove Tuesday. But wait, what else ends on Tuesday in the spring? Mardi Gras. Shrove Tuesday and Fat Tuesday are the same thing and are still celebrated today. The idea is you get it all out of your system, and when you're ready to swear off drinking, you actually would for Lent. So let's get back to circuses. Uh, the modern circus didn't uh, pop up till the 1700s and were mostly equestrian shows taking place in modern-day amphitheaters. They were brought to the U.S. in 1792 and would host more wild or exotic animals like lions, tigers, and uh, bears. If you said, oh my, in your head just now, <laughs> you're my kind of people. Moving to the 1800s, they evolved into modern shows that we know now with clowns and the giant tents. And it was around 1840s when most people think that the circus started with a guy named Phineas Taylor Barnum. He bought an oddity museum and, uh, and brought in freak shows and other acts to draw a crowd. He was one of the greatest showmen and helped birth the multi-ring circus. The size of these shows kept them mostly moving on trains, and inspired by the first World's Fair in 1851, there was a boom in machinery, and that gave way to more rides and games, and it became harder to move around, so they became permanent. The oldest in the U.S. being Lake Compounds in 1846, Cedar Point in 1870, and more famous, uh, the Coney Island in 1895. That was the gilded age of amusement with rapid growth. The wages in the U.S. for the first time grew higher than in Europe and drew many immigrants to move here. This explosion gave birth to hundreds of amusement parks, with cities and businessmen pushing for more of them. The World's Columbian Exposition was hosted in Chicago in 1893 and gave birth to the, uh, the Midway and our first Ferris wheel. These new ideas helped Coney Island expand to be one of the first to charge admission. It was one of their rides that inspired the first patent for the modern roller coaster. Now, the golden age of amusement came in the 1920s with bigger and better rides. Americans were working fewer hours with higher wages, and the demand for entertainment grew. Along with the amusement parks, we saw the birth of a kiddie park, with the first being in San Antonio. I've had the pleasure of taking my daughter to this one, and it's nearly 100 years old. The golden era came to an end. October 29th, 1929. It was a Black Tuesday. The start of the Great Depression. And during the 30s and 40s, many of the rich moved away from the cities. And the rest of the people were out of work. So going to an amusement park was a luxury they could not afford. During that time, many of them closed down. A few of them burned down. And others fell to the wayside and were victims of urban sprawl. By the 50s, with the rise of crime and urban decay and the popularity of television, people were finding other ways to entertain themselves. It wouldn't be till after World War II where one man wanted to take his kids to a clean place that was meant for both kids and adults. He thought, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And started, was all started by a month. His name was Walter. Many just call him Walt. And he changed amusement parks by building one around a central theme. He dreamt up a place called Disneyland. Visitors to Disneyland like August L. Wayne went on to build Six Flags in 1960. 
a motion picture company also in California, started doing backlot tours, which became universal in 1964. A couple of UCLA grads wanted to do an underwater restaurant and aquatic show, which turned into SeaWorld. And a botanical garden started in 1906 by Adolphus Bush of the Anheuser-Busch fame, became an amusement park in 1966 called Bush Gardens. All because of a man said, if you can dream it, you can do it. This episode's tip, tricks, or secrets has to do with your footwear. Do not wear a brand new pair of shoes to the parks. You know, those sandals look really cute. Those Chuck Taylors go great with your outfit, but they have no cushion. I could not tell you at the end of a night, uh, closing parks down, how many guests I, I hear saying, Oh, I walked 6 to 10 miles today. And if you're doing that in brand new footwear, and if you haven't worked up to it, your dogs are going to be barking. So yes, it may be cute, but always choose function over fashion. Here is what's going on at our local parks. Well, the most important thing is that California has decided to reopen. I know you're wondering what does this have to do with the Central Florida locations, but these parks generating more revenue means that these companies can rehire workers that have been laid off. Uh, now, California officials have said they are allowed to reopen on April 1st, but Disney and Universal have both aired in the site of caution. Universal will be reopening on the 16th and Disneyland on the 30th. Uh, more local, Disney has announced Remy's Ratatouille Adventure that is going to be opening on October 1st, and which is the 39th birthday of Epcot, and there's something else going on that day. Oh yeah, it's the 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom. Uh, you now have a walkway going all the way from the Contemporary to the Ticket and Transportation Center. This walkway formerly was just the Contemporary and Magic Kingdom, with a walkway to nowhere in front of the monorail platform that has since been connected over a waterway uh, connecting the Grand Floridian and the Polynesian. Now, that waterway used to be where the electrical water parade comes in and out. It's also a nice view backstage. You can see backstage behind the uh, Pioneer Land. Epcot has announced its International Food and Wine Festival that is going to be taking place uh, starting on July 15th and ending November 20th, so right before Thanksgiving. That is really nice that they have extended it that extra week. It now no longer ends on my anniversary. You have no idea how hard it is to celebrate and hit a food festival in the very last weekend. Universal has announced that Epic Universe is back on. This is their fourth theme park alongside of Universal Studios Orlando, Islands of Adventure, and Volcano Bay. This fourth gate will be roughly 750 acres, which is bigger than the other three parks combined. Mardi Gras has been extended, originally was extended through April 11th, and is now going to be going on to early May and then ending on the 2nd. 
There is a new store in City Walk. It is the Universal Studio store. That's where you can find a lot of memorabilia on the walls and a lot of the souvenirs that you can find inside the parks outside of those gates. Uh, this goes along with their tribute store where you can find the old school logos and a lot of merchandise from rides that are no longer with us. That includes Back to the Future, King Kong, and Earthquake. Velocicoaster officially has an opening date. You can now join the hunt on June 10th. It is currently in its testing phase. You can see it operating. And there's a new walkway going from the Jurassic Park area to the Lost Continent. That walkway will take you right underneath the new track. And you can see where it does a double loop all the way around you. Now this new walkway does bypass the Harry Potter section of the park. But who would want to bypass that? How else are you going to get your butterbeer? SeaWorld is continuing its Seven Seas Food Festival. Uh, it currently offers about 50 different food items and 75 different craft beers. And that goes alongside with their concert series, where you can see numbers of tribute bands, along with Air Supply, Vanilla Ice, Blue Oyster Cult, and Kansas. They are offering a sample card. You can get 10 samples for $60 or 15 samples for $75. A little pro tip here, those cards do not have to be used on the same visit. So I highly recommend getting the 15 sample and coming back multiple days. Now that is what is going on at the parks nowadays. It is still spring break season. It has spilled over from March and the, the parks have been hitting capacity for the last week straight. So everyone stay hydrated, be patient, and don't forget to wear your sunscreen. Story time. These are going to be cast member, team member, and ambassador stories of whatever they uh, comes to their mind when you say story time. I'll go first. So there's a reason we tell you not to go under the ropes, chains, and railings. I was in a bus loading zone at the end of a night. All the guests are leaving, and three generations walk up. First generation granddaughter goes under the railing. Not a problem. Second generation goes under the railing. Not a problem. Well, third generation grandma comes and she loses her balance on the way up, ends up doing a face plant in my in my loading zone and knocks out a tooth. So there's blood, there's embarrassment. Of course, the uh, paramedics come and basically we say uh, we can take you to the hospital and stop the bleeding, but not much we can do for a uh, broken tooth. So uh, these folks are mighty upset. You know, their vacation is ruined and... Uh, we're not going to send them to a dentist. You know, we'll take care of their immediate needs of uh, stopping bleeding, but the rest is on you. So uh, for a cost of an extra 15 steps, uh, they uh, essentially ruined their vacation, probably paid thousands of dollars out of pocket, and just so they can go under a rail. The worst part of the whole thing is uh, after they were clear and, and left a little bit later that night, I found a chunk of her tooth in my load zone. So, uh, it's kind of gross. Uh, we may have gotten a laugh at it, but that's why we say don't go under the railing. That 
that's everything for this episode of the Passholder's Guide podcast. Thank you for joining me. I hope I've left you with some tips, tricks, or secrets to make your park experience better. In the meantime, join us on Facebook or Instagram at the Passholder's Guide podcast. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button for alerts on the latest episodes. Until I see you again, have a safe time at the parks.